Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn together to Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I was tempted to keep on reading. You get in a groove when you're reading the scriptures and you just don't want to start, you don't want to quit. Uh, and uh, and so uh, almost uh, just dived in there uh, and kept going. Uh, and, uh, it, well, I'll, I'll come back to that. I was going to make another comment, but I, I will, uh, I'll hold it for a little bit later. So I want to tell you about my one foray into farming. Uh, uh, anybody that knows me knows that I, I'm not, I don't have a green thumb. I, I told Karen many years ago that she could do whatever she wanted to do in the garden as long as she didn't ask me to do it. Uh, and I would gladly help her move heavy things, but that's kind of the limit of my, of my endurance. But there was, there was one foray into farming. Okay, it wasn't really farming. It was like a really, really, really big garden. 
because I was invited to uh, pastor a church for summer during, during my seminary training, uh, and I knew this man. He was a great man of God named Marshall Guthrie, who had served for many years as a missionary in Brazil. And he was ending, uh, nearing the, the end of his uh, full-time ministry service, and so he wanted to spend three months and go back to Brazil and visit all the churches that he helped plant. Uh, and those churches, in those churches at that time, were more than 10,000 people. So really a great man of God. And uh, the Guthrie brothers, uh, his uh, brother Frank was my home church pastor growing up, uh, and they had another, uh, another brother who wasn't a pastor, uh, but was considered the best preacher of the three. So uh, just a, kind of an amazing uh, three men of God uh, serving the Lord. So, uh, but the one thing about the Guthrie brothers, they all love to plant vegetables. In fact, every year they planted lots of vegetables uh, and you could, you could eat for a very, very long time. Uh, they would can some of those and preserve some, freeze some, uh, so they'd have vegetables for a while. And so Marshall, just for some reason, thought it would be a good idea to plant the normal big garden that they plant, uh, that they would normally plant before going to Brazil. Uh, this is before he knew what kind of gardener I was. And, and I, I looked at that, and it's a huge plot of ground. It had corn, uh, maize in it. It, it had uh, peppers. It had uh, to, tomatoes. Uh, they're tomatoes because they were grown in the States. If they were grown here, they would be tomatoes. Uh, and uh, so I had tom tomatoes and, and just an amazing array of things. But, you know, there are little things that, that, you know, when you're like me and you're not really a farmer, you don't know. Like you need to take care of weeds. Uh, it's really good to make sure things are watered uh, and, and all of this. You know, for me, I just wanted the plants to grow up and get the, get the food off of them, uh, which they did quite well. But, you know, the weeds grew up alongside the plants uh, and uh, by the end of it, the, the weeds were taller than the corn, even though we got a lot of good corn out of that. And we got some really lovely red uh, peppers, big red bell peppers, uh, which normally rot before they ripen because the sun beats down on them. But the weeds overshadowed the peppers, which allowed the uh, peppers to really ripen into nice red peppers. And, and so it was... Uh, uh, a lovely produce, but it was a, a, a terrible mess. In fact, uh, I was kind of embarrassed, and so I, I just kind of slinked away uh, afterwards uh, when he came back, and I understand that they had to get some big tractor in to kind of cut it all down and, and turn it all under. So <laughs> I discovered in all that I'm not really, really a good farmer. And I'm not a good farmer because I really don't like to, to dig into the dirt uh, you know, I know some people like to get their hands dirty. I, I don't like to get my hands dirty. Uh, weeds make me itchy. I've got allergies, so I sneeze a lot. Uh, you know, and so the idea of immersing myself in a plot of ground to produce vegetables, if I was starving, maybe. But as long as I'm married, I don't have to do that. Hallelujah, thank God. Uh, and it's, it's probably good because I would make messes everywhere I go because everybody knows successful farmers have to immerse themselves in their farming. They have to be willing to get dirty. Now, I know when you all saw the title, you know, some of you didn't have the right thoughts in your mind, you know, but uh, I just want to point that out and repent now if you didn't. 
you know, as successful sports people. You know, one of the reasons why I'm not a big runner is because I don't really like to sweat. You know, but if you're going to play sports, you have to immerse yourself in the sports and you have to be willing to get sweaty if you're going to do that. And that's all well and good, but the problem comes is that too many Christians, too many people who call themselves Christians, fail to immerse themselves in the ways of Jesus and they have not and do not bear fruit, bear real fruit in their lives. You know, going to a Bible study is not fruit. It's getting the word planted in you. You know, giving some money is not fruit. We're called to bear fruit, and many Christians, many people who identify as Christians, do not bear fruit, and the situation is actually getting worse. Just this week, two separate uh, surveys in the United States just came across my desk. Now remember, the United States is still one of the most religious countries in the world. But according to these two surveys, only 33% of practicing Christians. This is not people who just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. These are people who are going to church, who have identified with the church, uh, who say, yes, I'm I'm trying to live for Jesus. Only 33% of practicing Christians said that casual sex between consenting adults is never acceptable. Not casual sex between consenting adults. Only 33% said that that's always wrong. 33% of people who would identify as evangelical in the United States. Now, evangelicals are people who say, yes, I believe that the Bible is God's word. Yes, I've made a commitment to Jesus Christ in my life. Yes, I'm seeking to follow Jesus uh, every day. Yes, I'm committed to God's people, okay? 33, only 33% of evangelicals, uh, no, excuse me, say, let me say it this way, 33% of evangelicals agree with this statement. Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God. A third, one in three people who say they're evangelicals are saying Jesus wasn't God. Now, both of those things are very clear in the Bible. And so it shows us how so many people are carrying the label of Christian without immersing themselves in the ways of Jesus, without immersing themselves in his word so that they live their lives as a genuine, authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Now we've been talking here uh, these last few weeks that we need to forget normal, forget going back to some kind of normal, forget trying to get back to some kind of normalcy, Forget normal and dive into different, the different that God is bringing. But we can't dive into different unless we immerse ourselves in God's ways so that we live our lives as fully surrendered followers of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we're going to experience the fullness, the benefits of God's different into the future. Now, if we shift our metaphor just slightly in line with this parable, We must become good soil in cooperation with Jesus the sower and the farmer so that God's word will bear fruit in us. If we do not become good soil, 
we will not bear the kind of fruit that we can bear, and we will not dive into the different that God has for our present and for our future. So we need to understand a bit about what God is saying here in this parable. Now, first of all, we need to understand Jesus is the sower. I think we all got that. Or you can say God is the sower. Uh, But Jesus is the sower, and Jesus has gone out into his field, which is the world, to sow some seed. So those things become pretty clear. Jesus is the sower, and he goes out into the world, which is his field, from which he will reap a harvest to sow the seed. Now, what is the seed? The seed is called the word. And the first thing we need to understand beyond these is that there are three facets of the word that is sown, three ways to understand this word that is sown. And if you look at the way Matthew tells the story and you look at the way Luke tells the story, you see all three in all three versions of the parable represented across the three versions of the parable. The first, the word is the gospel. The word is the gospel. It is the good news. Jesus Christ has died on the cross. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead so that we might have forgiveness of sins and life in him. And the word is everything associated with the gospel. It's not only just that message that Jesus died and rose again, but also it involves Jesus's life, his his virgin birth, the fact that he came and united himself with us in our sinful humanity, yet he didn't sin himself. He was without sin. It's the understanding that he offered himself willingly on the cross to pay uh, for our sins as a sacrifice for our sins to redeem us from the power of Satan. He rose bodily from the dead in victory over sin, death, and hell, so that we can live in freedom and newness of life and follow him. And he did all of this so we could participate in the glorious future that he has for us in the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, in a nutshell, that's the gospel. And the word that's being sown is the gospel. But it's not only the word of the gospel, it is also the word of the kingdom. The kingdom. Now the kingdom takes the idea of the gospel and says God's rule is here. God's reign is inaugurated in Jesus Christ. And God's kingdom will continue to expand across the world until the day that Jesus Christ comes again. You know, we are not as Christians believers in a weak church that is going to die, that is going to just fall away, that needs to hunker down as the world gets bad uh, so that we can wait until Jesus comes and rescues us from the middle of the world. That's not our life in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are those who believe that the church of Jesus Christ, under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King, will advance his kingdom into this world, bringing people into his kingdom, bringing justice and righteousness and love and grace into the world until that time when Jesus Christ comes again, even as the world continues to struggle in the power of sin, death, and hell. And so this word that is sown is not only the word of the gospel, it's also the word of the kingdom. And the word of the kingdom and the word of the gospel are inextricably related. You don't have one without the other. 
But you also learn that this word is the word of God. This is not a human word that's being sown. This is not a bunch of clever ideas. This is not some good teacher or great philosopher that is bringing his word to us. This is the word of God. In other words, Jesus, the sower, is God. He has the authority of God. What he says goes. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign Lord of the universe. And that's the truth, the reality about Jesus Christ. So this word that is being sown, this seed that is being sown, is the word of God, the word of the gospel, the word of the kingdom. And we have to understand the fullness of that. It's not just, hey, turn to Jesus and get your sins forgiven and get you know, a free get out, of hell, get out of hell free card. It's not that kind of idea. It's you follow Jesus to live your life in a different way, to bear fruit for him, to see his kingdom advance because of all that Jesus has done for you and because Jesus is God, he is king, he is Lord. Now we notice the next thing is that there are three types of normal soil. Three types of normal soil. In other words, the three soils represent, the the first three types of soil represent the vast majority of people. In this world, in this field, there are three types of soil that represent the majority of people. Represents the majority of people. So what are the three soils? The first soil is called the path. The path. And the path consists of people who do not respond at all to the word that is sown. This would be the atheist that just completely rejects it. Uh, this would be the, the hedonist that says, hey, I don't want God to cramp my style. I don't want to have anything to do with this Christianity stuff. This would be the people who follow false gods and false religions who don't surrender to Jesus even though they hear the truth about Jesus Christ. These are people who do not respond to the word. Now, what is a path? A path is where the majority of people walk. You know, in a farmer's field, you'll have paths around the field where people walk, but most people don't walk through the field. They don't walk through the middle of the good soil. And this world is filled with pathways, and the pathways have become solid and hardened because they are so well trodden. The pathways become solid and hardened because they're just common. There's nothing special about them. There's nothing set apart about them. The pathway represents, in a sense, too, the hardness of heart of people who are just doing what they've always done, who really couldn't care less about some kingdom or some Jesus or some God who, doesn't, who don't want to believe in God because if they believed in God, it would be uncomfortable, it would be unpleasant, uh, it would mean changes to their lifestyles, and so they're just happy to go the way they've always gone and live the way they've always lived, and they will not respond. And frankly, we should not be, re- be surprised when people respond like a pathway. 
when the word that Jesus sows through us, when we're going out and sharing the gospel, when it just seems to bounce. And Satan comes and he just steals it away. You know, not only does the word not sink in, but when it comes on the pathway, uh, Satan is there, his demons are there just to steal it out of their hearts. So if somebody starts to say, well, you know, maybe I should listen to this. And then the little voice inside their mind says, no, you're in a hurry. You don't have time to stop. You don't have time to listen. Uh, Throw that tract away and just keep on walking. And I think probably the pathway, the hardened places of the world, represents probably the majority of the majority from my own perspective. But that's my perspective, not God's perspective. So that's the path. That's one, one type of soil. There's a second type of soil. Jesus calls it the rocky ground. The rocky ground. This is people who are responding to the Word. In fact, the text says that they respond to the Word with joy. They're excited about hearing the Word. But these people are not necessarily Christians. And we really need to take this to heart. Because there are many places, and I've been in many different settings, and I've heard over over my lifetime hundreds of altar calls. I mean hundreds of altar calls. And many times what happens in those altar calls, when I've seen it, is, is someone says, well, just lift up your hand if you want to respond to this word. And they do, and there's nothing wrong with this, by the way. I'm not criticizing altar calls. Uh, but they just say, lift up your hand, and the people lift up their hand. They've been stirred, they've been moved, maybe by the message, by some good jokes, uh, some good stories. Uh, they've been stirred, they've been moved by the music, uh, you know, a good band or something like that. And again, I'm not uh, against stories or bands or anything. Please don't hear that, don't mishear this. But there are people who respond with joy, but they don't go all the way to let the word be planted in their hearts. And we must take care because there are a lot of people who have responded with joy. They receive the word immediately with joy, but they don't go all the way to become Christians. What are they? It's unprepared soil. Oftentimes the rocky ground is soil that's not been tilled. It's not been prepared. It's not been prepared by removing the stones. And what we learn about these people is they have no root in themselves. They have no root in themselves. Uh, They might be sustained by others. You know, you can go to church for a long time and do the Christian thing for a long time if you have enough friends around you telling you to do it. What gets hard is when all the friends around you leave. And then you have to stand and you feel like you're standing alone. That's the real test. You know, you can go to church for a long time as long as it's fun. As long as it's exciting, as long as you really get into it, as long as there's an atmosphere. You know, there's a lot of people you can go for a long time to do that. What happens if it doesn't get fun? What happens if the people around you start to annoy you? What happens if it's, you start to feel a bit boring? People can also go to church for a long time as long as they perceive some kind of benefit. Now, there are a lot of people who respond with joy and say, wow, Jesus has saved me. He died on the cross for me. This is, this is great news. But they never surrender their lives to Jesus. And so as long as they, 
the moment that they no longer experience that benefit, the moment they, they no longer perceive that it's good for them, the moment they no longer perceive that they're getting their bang for their buck, their money's worth, they fall away. They fall away. Jesus says these people will endure for a while, the joy will last for a while, but they fall away when it gets difficult, either through some challenge or maybe through some persecution. It gets difficult or others don't improve, uh, uh, approve. By the way, this is why people leave marriages. Now, marriage is really great and can be a very heady thing the first year or two. But the real test of a relationship is how you persevere day in and day out over the course of time. And so that's a real challenge here. Now, again, this is the fate of many people who raise their hands in response to a message, but they have not really surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. And right now, we are seeing a lot of Christians and a lot of leaders even fall away from the gospel because the gospel has not really taken root in their heart in a surrendered relationship to Jesus Christ. And I think we're going to see many other Christians in the West fall away in the coming months and years because it hasn't really been difficult to be a Christian in the West. But now it's becoming more and more difficult. So that's the, that's the rocky ground. Then you have the thorny ground. And again, the thorny ground consists of people who respond to the Word. The Word is there. The Word is there. In, in the second one, the Word does not take root. So it doesn't really go deep. It's not really planted inside of them. The thorny ground perhaps represents people who might even genuinely be a Christian. If somebody says, yes, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm going with you. I'm going after you. But something happens. The thorns grow up. And what are the thorns according to Jesus? One, the cares of the world. The cares of the world. Over, over my time in ministry, I've seen so many people fall away just because, oh, well, I've got work commitments, I've got family commitments, I've got this commitment, I've got that commitment. Uh, and it's just the cares of the world, the cares of life, you know, start getting, getting in the way, and then it becomes easier to say, you know, I really need that extra hour of sleep on Sunday. I'm going to sleep, uh, sleep in a bit. I can watch a little uh, TV Jesus. Uh, or, you know, now it's even easier. Uh, I can just zip into Zoom something like that, uh, download the, the uh, live stream when it's convenient. Uh, and so that's one, cares of the world. Another is the deceitfulness of riches. You know, people get comfortable. They get into a comfortable lifestyle. They have the things that they want. And all of a sudden you start to think, well, maybe I don't need God so much. Uh, and then for some people, it's just the desire for other things. There are passions that take over the passion for Jesus. There are passions that take over the passion for other people. You know, maybe it's a desire for a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend who's not following Jesus, and so I don't really want to offend him or her, uh, so maybe I, I should back away from the Jesus thing. 
uh, or maybe you know it's a new job, new career opportunities that are going to take me away from the Lord. But I really need to grab onto this. I really need to take hold of it. Whatever it is, this desire for other things begins to choke out the Word. And the problem is with thorns, as I discovered in my foray into farming, the problem is with thorns, they will grow unless they are actively removed. Just like weeds. Unless you pull the weeds out, and you've got to take them out by the root. Unless you deal with the weeds, they will actively grow, and eventually they will choke the word. They will choke the seed. And removing thorns is not easy. Actually, it's quite unpleasant because they're thorns. I don't know if you've ever grabbed thorns like that, uh, but if you have, you don't hold it very long because it hurts, unless you've got a glove on or something. So it's a challenge. It's hard. But thorns if left unchecked, will prevent fruitfulness in a person's life, even in a Christian's life. If you allow the thorns to grow up in your life unchecked, they will prevent prevent you from having any kind of fruitfulness, or they will limit your fruitfulness. And so they have to be dealt with. So you have these three types of normal soil and, and by the way, you know, I see this. You can see this in, in churches all across the world. You can see people who, you know, have rocky ground, have thorny ground, who have not surrendered themselves fully to Jesus Christ, are not bearing fruit, and some people whose hearts are just so hard uh, that it doesn't make any difference what's sown there. But then, good news here, there are three types of good soil. No, so good soil, it's not the majority, it's not the norm, but there is good soil in the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the text is linking this good soil to the harvest that Jesus will receive. So here it is. Jesus is the sower. He is sowing good seed. Jesus will have a harvest there will be fruitfulness, and that fruitfulness will lead to the harvest, the harvest of righteousness, the harvest of souls, the harvest that Jesus intends to have, and His design and purpose for us is to be part of that harvest. That's His design and purpose for your life as well. Now notice here, this is talking about the good soil is referring to those who are authentic Christians. Good soil is referring to those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ and are living their lives under His leadership, knowing that their sins are forgiven and they have new life in Him. That's authentic Christianity. It's what it's all about. And the authentic Christians are living together with the body of Christ. You know, we're not soil. You know, if I have a... I've learned this from Karen... If I've got a little pot of soil that's set out by itself, you know, it can only grow so much. But if I've got a big area of soil that consists of all these little pots that have kind of been spread out together, they will bear amazing fruitfulness. And notice what it says, that this good soil, some of the good soil will bear fruit 30-fold, some of the good soil will bear fruit 60-fold, and some of the good soil 
will bear fruit 100-fold. The promise is that all good soil will bear fruit. All good soil will bear fruit. And here is the really good news. All authentic Christians are good soil. If you are somebody who surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're living your life as a follower of Jesus in connection with God's people, you are good soil. You are good soil. Here's the problem. We tend to evaluate the soil based on the yield in comparison with the yield that other people have. Right? You know, right now you're thinking of, well, you know, I've got a little bit more soil than this person does. Well, but I'm not yielding as much as this person is. Right? That's what we tend to do. But notice here, the parable, Jesus does not evaluate the soil based on the level of fruitfulness. As good soil, you are not evaluated based on whether you bear 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. You have been labeled by the farmer, by Jesus the sower, as good soil. So stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop evaluating yourself to other people. Stop thinking that, oh, well, I'm only a 30-fold soil, and uh, this other person is a 60-fold soil, and I see a a person who's a 100-fold soil, so I'm not nearly as good as they are. That is not what Jesus says here in this parable, and it's very clear if you look at it. Authentic Christians will understand the nature of this fruitfulness. So if it's not a comparison... If Jesus is saying 100-fold is not better than 30-fold, of course, we'd all like to be 100-fold, right? Hopefully, I hope you would like to be 100-fold. We'd all like to bear as much fruitfulness as possible, maximum fruitfulness. But if Jesus is saying He doesn't label us good based on our fruitfulness, then we need to understand what is the nature of fruitfulness. God gives fruitfulness. We receive our fruitfulness as a gift of grace. God gives fruitfulness. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. The fruitfulness of your life is a gift from God. It is a gift of God's grace. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, you know, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, that we should walk in them. By God's grace, He has prepared a fruitfulness for us as a gift of grace. The second thing we need to know about fruitfulness here is that fruit, the fruit comes from the seed, not from the soil. The fruit comes from the seed, not from the soil. So if your life bears fruit, It's because there's good seed that's been sown in the soil of your life and you bear fruit because of that. The fruit comes from the seed, not from the soil, so that we can reason back from the fruit to the seed that was planted by God. You know, I look in my life and and I've gone through hard times, as many of you know. I've gone through good times. 
but I can look back in my life and see the fruitfulness that I've had and see how it's a gift of God through that whole thing. It's not about me. This means it's not, fruitfulness is not a result of your personal effort. You don't strive after fruitfulness. You seek to be good soil. And we need to understand this is because many, many factors affect our fruitfulness. The length of time that we have for a fruit to grow. Uh, Karen's got some tomatoes that she planted in, in our garden. They're still green the last I checked. It takes time for them to ripen. It takes time for them to ripen. Also, there's an appointed time for fruit to be ripe. You know, if I want an apple and I look for an apple in March, uh, I won't find an apple tree in the UK that's bearing apples in March unless somebody just left them hanging there. There's an appointed time for apples to come up. There's also chance. Where do you happen to be? Uh, one of the complaints that Karen often has about our garden is we don't get enough sun. And so she's compared the, the residential community has been uh, growing some uh, fruit and veg, or veg, fruit and veg, yeah, up on the roof. And their fruit and veg has looked great. And sometimes Karen feels like hers has looked small. Well, the fact is the fruit and veg on the roof get a lot of sun. The one in the garden doesn't. And so it just happens to be chance. Where you happen to be at any given time can depend on your fruitfulness. The opportunities you have. The location where God's put you in. Now, many times we've had people come to City Temple over the last 20 years, and they'll come up to me afterwards and say, Rod, why isn't this church full of people? If you had this church in X place in the United States or X place in, uh, on the continent or something like that, you would have three, 400 people coming. Well, it's our location. We understand it. And it's also our environment. We're in a different environment. You wonder why, uh, like the United States can grow some awfully big churches. It's the same reason why the, the United States can grow some awfully big tomatoes. Tomatoes. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm confusing my languages there. That's because of the environment, and the environment is conducive to it. And there are environmental factors. So we need to understand that as long as we're bearing fruit, we're good soil. As long as we're bearing fruit, we've been labeled as good soil by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's good news. So now the question comes, now it is true that soil, things can be done to soil, fertilizing and, and watering and things like that to help seeds grow. And so our question, our issue is now, how we cooperate with God to prepare to be good soil that will bear the maximum amount of fruit. How do we do that? How do we prepare that? And I've got a few suggestions here for you to close out. We need to till up the common, well-trodden places of our lives. We all have habits, sin patterns, character flaws that we need to deal with. And we deal with that through repentance. And the blood of Jesus Christ can come and, and soften those areas of our lives, but we need to repent. We need to till up that ground. We need to till up those well-trodden paths. We also need to remove the stones that are in our ground. Now, what's a stone? It's the hindrances and obstacles that we have, many of which we placed there. We need to remove those stones from the ground. Now, here's the big thing you learn about clearing stones from ground. 
As soon as you clear one batch of stones, if you wait long enough, there's another batch of stones that literally floats up from the surface. And if you keep clearing stones, eventually you'll have two things, a dry stone wall and clear ground to be fertile. So we've got to clear out any kind of hindrances, any kind of obstacles, anything that gets in the way of our following Jesus. We need to diligently dig up those thorns in our lives. Those cares, those desire for riches, the desire for other things, making things more important than God. We need to have God show us what those are and dig them up ruthlessly. And then we need to hear and keep on hearing the Word. Allow it to be planted in us. And one of the great things that most times people miss, uh, a lot of people get offended by this parable because uh, people come uh, after the meeting, they're, they're there, they're gathering around Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, tell us what this is all about. And he says, well, I'm speaking in parables so that you know, people can hear but not understand. You know? and, and people say, well, that doesn't sound fair. But notice the people. The people who heard the parable gathered around Jesus after the meeting to hear more. They weren't content with hearing a good story. They wanted to go deeper into the story. And it wasn't just the 12. The text says that other people gathered there. So there's no sense here of Jesus saying to the crowds, okay, you guys go away. I'm going to hang out with my boys and I'm going to tell them the insights, but I'm not going to tell you fools anything. He wasn't doing that. Jesus was allowing anybody who wanted to hear more to hear more. And that's the truth about God and His kingdom. you got to hear, but you need to keep on hearing. The ear never has enough of hearing. So you need to get more and more and more word there. You need to receive and keep on receiving. Not only do you need to hear it, but you need to say, okay, I'm going to make this part of my life. I am going to embed this truth in my life and I'm going to live accordingly. That's what it means to receive. I'm going to embed this truth in my life and I'm going to have faith. I'm going to believe that it is true. So you've got to hear, keep on hearing, see, uh, receive, keep on receiving, and then you will bear fruit and keep on bearing fruit. And that's the promise. We can become good soil. We are. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are good soil. Clear out the thorns, clear out the rocks. And watch as God produces fruitfulness. God is preparing His church. He's preparing us, His people, in this season to become good soil that will bear fruit and keep on bearing fruit in the years ahead. Because Jesus wants to receive a harvest from every area of our lives. He wants to receive a harvest from your work, a harvest from what happens in your home, a harvest from what happens in the church, a harvest in your leisure time or your leisure time. Jesus wants to receive fruitfulness from you and see fruitfulness in you and produce fruitfulness in you in every one of those areas of your life. He saved us by His cross. He cleansed us by His blood. He filled us with His Holy Spirit and He lavished on us His grace that we might be good soil for His Word. And good soil is what you are in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you. 
We honor you and we thank you for loving us. Lord, I do pray that you would reveal to us rocks that are in our lives. Reveal to us the hard places where we've turned from you. Reveal to us the thorns that are growing up. That all these things might be eliminated. Help us to eliminate everything in our lives that prevent us from being fruitful in every area of our lives from the word that is sown in us by your grace through faith. We love you, we worship you, and we thank you now. And I pray, Father God, that as we go to the Lord's Supper now, you would bless this time. Strengthen us, renew us in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you and we honor you in all of this through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, so if you're gathering at home on Zoom, now's the time. Grab your bread and uh, your wine or your juice, and we're going to go to the, the Lord's Supper. Uh, if Kup uh, and Olashina, if you guys could help me serve today. We begin with our brand new... Uh, ritual. I think Cup's running away. He's fleeing. He's running. I thought you were. I thought you were running. And oh, thank you, Cup. So, it is the the ritual. He's bringing you a mask. Oh. It is the the ritual of the hand oh. sanitization. Uh, just some words on how we will, how we will share. Uh, first of all, the guys will pass around um, the bread, uh, and I think we have enough rolls for, for everybody. We've made individual rolls, uh, and what we will do is, uh, if you had one of those plates that you got when you came in, please put it on the pew in front of you. Uh, the pews are clean, so uh, if you don't have one, it's okay. But what the guys will do, they'll take the tongs and they'll set the roll in front of you on that little lip. Uh, then after everybody is served, we will all share together. Uh, and then uh, they'll do the same thing with the, the cup. Uh, they will put the, the cups out uh, on the lip there so nobody has to touch these things. Uh, pass them around. 